All right, First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, I know we ended with verse 18 last week. We're going to start with verse 18 this week to get kind of a run and start. First John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 18 to 24 as uh, we look at abiding in Christ. Uh, you know, the Apostle John likes this word. Uh, and of course, it's through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he uses this word. Uh, but whether it's in the gospel or in this epistle, uh, the word abide is important. Um, he, uh, he just likes it. He likes what it means to, to be at home and to allow somebody else to be at home. So if we abide in Christ, it means we're at home. We're comfortable in him. If Christ abides in us, we, we make him comfortable in us. So it's a fascinating word, but more on that later. Uh, look at verse 18. We'll read 18 down to verse 24. It says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby know we that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing or that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of, of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his, his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Hereby we know that he abideth in us, by the Spirit which he hath given us. All right, living a Christian life requires much more than just coming to church uh, for the weekly services. All right? Living the Christian life, really, it requires everything. Uh, being known as a Christian is literally to be known as a follower of Christ, one who strives to live a life as Christ lived. Being a Christian isn't merely identification with certain deeds or identification with certain actions, although those will be evident in your life. It is a, a genuinely, genuinely a life we live. It is, it is who we are. Now John continues here to provide some basic encouragement and, and, and some challenges uh, for us as we live this Christian life. The, the truths that he speaks about in this passage, they're not new. Uh, they're, they're easy for us to understand, to grasp. They're simple truths, but they have very deep application. They're very profound. If we are to be all that Jesus Christ desires us to be, then we must live our lives as he lived his. We ought to be more like Christ than when we first got saved. We had better be more like Christ than when we first got saved, or something is terribly, terribly wrong. Now let's, let's take a little bit of time here to consider what these encouragements are, what the challenges are, uh, as we talk about abiding in Christ. Because abiding in Christ, okay, you being at home in Christ, and Christ being at home in you, is the key to living like Christ. Verses 18, 19, and 20 offer us kind of the challenge, the challenges revealed here. 
uh, where it says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if a heart condemn us not, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. We see in verse 18 this uh, expression of love. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now this is simple enough to understand, right? We've, we've been warned not to limit our love to just words that we speak, but to genuinely show our love in, in deed and in truth. Uh, simply, um, our actions speak louder than words. Uh, we can talk of loving others and even challenge those around us to love others, but until we actually express our love through action, we haven't really loved anybody at all talk is cheap and we're admonished here to show our love through our action to live out daily as we serve others and care about them love isn't love if it isn't shown if it's not demonstrated true christian love means loving in deed and loving in truth now, the opposite, if you look at this, uh, the, the opposite of in deed is in word, and the opposite of in truth is in tongue. Here's, here's an example of, of loving in word in James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says, If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? See, that's somebody that says, yes, I love you. I'm just not going to do anything for you. To love in word means just to talk about the need. But to love in deed means to put something into place, to put something into action. You, you may think because you've discussed the need or that you've prayed about the need, that, that you've done your duty, you've, you've, you've done something about it. But, but love involves more than words. It involves that sacrificial doing of something. Now, to love in tongue is the opposite of to love in truth. It means to love in, in, in sincerely. Think of uh, you know, somebody talks tongue-in-cheek, you know, the, you know they're not serious. To love in truth means to love a person genuinely, uh, from the heart, uh, not just from the tongue. People are attracted to genuine love. They're repelled by that, that fake love. You know, one of the reasons that, that sinners were so attracted to Jesus was because uh, they were sure that he loved them genuinely, sincerely. See, the work of love must must be performed, but it must be performed with true motives, pure motives. You know, we may uh, act with the appearance of love, but, but real love was not really the motivating force. We must love in truth. So loving involves what we do, absolutely, but it also includes why we do what we do. 
Verse 19, we see our, our persuasion in love here. It says, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Hereby, or, or herein, uh, that means that comes from verse 18, loving in deed and in truth. This verse 18, loving in deed and truth, is the way that we know we belong to the truth. It's because our love is genuine. Because we have done something about what we have said concerning our love genuine love flows freely from believers who are in fellowship with christ it just comes naturally it oozes out of us when our hearts are right with the lord we will act in love and our love will be evident for people to see then love is a genuine characteristic of christianity it's oxymoronic to be a christian who doesn't or will not love. If there is never any love or compassion shown, uh, there is very little evidence then that the salvation is real. See, lost people can show love, but, but it should always be evident in the lives of believers. And when it talks about assurance here, it's uh, a believer's relationship with others affects their relationship with God. A man who is not right with another Christian should go and settle that matter before he comes to church to worship. See, restoration, uh, relationship repair, uh, uh, reconciliation is not, okay, it is not more important than worship. But it is an absolutely required prerequisite to worship. And according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, it is so much so that if reconciliation is needed, worship will not happen. Let that sink in for a minute. If there's something between you and another Christian, when you come to church, you cannot, you will not, you'll be prohibited from worshiping God. God will not accept that from you if reconciliation with another believer needs to take place. See, we are never more like our Lord than when we express love to each other. And the less lovable the others are, the more like the Lord we are when we love them. See, loving our neighbor as ourselves, it's, it's the second great commandment. It is second only to loving the Lord your God with everything that you are. Possessing and sharing this love, it, it bears witness, it bears evidence of our relationship with Christ. And in verse 19, where it says that it assures our hearts before him. It means that it, 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 it persuades our heart. It uh, pacifies. It wins the confidence. It soothes the alarm. Right? The, the assurance is designed. Right? Assurance, your, the, the assurance of your relationship with Jesus Christ is designed to be the ordinary experience and privilege that you have because you're a believer. Assurance is twofold. Number one, the, the worst that it is in us, right, the worst that there is in us is known of God. 
And he still cares for us. And he still desires us. Our failures have been an open secret to him all along. He has always seen everything about us, no matter how bad it is. And he still desires relationship. Number two, he sees everything. He reads everything. He sees into the deepest things. And these are real things. Those deep, dark, nasty, vile secrets that you think nobody knows about, God knows about. And to know that we belong to the truth in spite of everything that God knows about us is to receive assurance. Verse 20 talks about our, our discretion through love. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Real love, as Christ loves, it can't be fabricated. It can't be imitated. You can't fake this. You either possess it through a relationship with Christ, or you do not possess it because there is no relationship with Christ. Now, what we ought to do with this verse 20 is take it as as consoling us when our hearts condemn us. And I want to quote part of a commentary here. It says, And who, like Peter, appeals from conscience to him who is greater than conscience. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Peter's conscience, even though it condemned him for his sin in denying the Lord, assured him of Christ's love. But fearing the possibility, owing to his past fall of deceiving himself, he appeals to the all-knowing God. Even when Peter could not trust his feelings, could not trust his own conscience, appeals to Jesus who knows everything and say, yes, Lord, I know I messed up monumentally, but you know I love you. At the moment of salvation, we are filled with peace and astonishment at God's grace but as we progress in the Christian life we will fail we will miss the mark we will stumble each of us at some point or another has found ourselves warming ourselves by the fire of denial we've allowed doubt and sin to enter our hearts and often during those moments we begin to question and doubt our salvation We ask, how could I possibly be saved and do these things? And it is during these moments that our heart condemns us, but God is greater than our heart, which condemns us. He knows all things. See, that word condemn is to know against Right? It's to bring indictment. But God knows all things. He doesn't know and condemn. He knows and does not condemn those who are in Christ. You have to be in Christ to pass the condemnation. But if he knows you through faith in Christ, he knows everything you have done. And there is no condemnation. So he knows He knows your love and desire to serve him. He knows your frame and he takes pity on your weakness of faith. He knows every secret in your heart. 
And if you're in Christ, you are still loved and accepted in the beloved. Now that should give us a comfort and a peace. I mean, it certainly does not encourage or condone sin. God never encourages or condones sin. But it does reveal a great truth. We are not saved by feelings, and we are not kept based on whether we feel saved or not. God is greater than our hearts. He is greater than our feelings of doubt. We are saved by grace through faith and not of our works. When our works and actions don't measure up, we do not lose our salvation because they are not what secures our salvation in the first place. You will not always feel saved. But salvation is in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not in the, based on the mood you were in when you got up this morning. It is given by grace it is not dependent upon works it is not dependent upon feelings if you have trusted jesus christ to save you your heart is not the authority the word of god is the authority for the basis of your salvation amen amen Amen. number two let's look at some confidence that's been revealed to us verse 21 and 22 beloved if our heart condemn us not then we have confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. Look at our assurance in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. He has spoken of, of, of these times when, when, when we have doubted and here he speaks of the great assurance that we enjoy because we're in Christ. Now, I've struggled with assurance of my salvation from time to time. The Lord has helped me get through that, and he has brought me back to the authority of his word. All believers need to get to the place where their faith, their trust, is solely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone secures our salvation, and we are to rest completely in him. The two results of being able to assure our hearts before him and our hearts not condemning us are first of all confidence towards God. Being able to to step through the gates of the throne room of God with a confidence like, like, like a child bursts into the room where his daddy is going to love him and grab him and pick him up in his arms knowing that there is no rejection and no judgment and no condemnation. Secondly, a sure answer to our prayers. John does not mean that, you know, if your hearts don't condemn you, that you're safe before God because some people have their consciences seared. Uh, So they're not going to uh, feel any conviction or guilt or anything to begin with. Some are ignorant of the truth. You don't know what God expects. You can't know when you trespass. It's not just sincerity, but it's sincerity in the truth which saves you. It is your relationship through and in Jesus Christ. Christians are what is meant here. Knowing Christ's precepts and, 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 and testing themselves by those precepts. 
The words, if our heart condemn us not, they, they don't claim a sinless perfection, but they, but they represent the heart attitude of, of a believer, of a Christian, of, of, of a saint, who, that, 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 that so far as they know, they have no unconfessed sin in their life. They have nothing between them and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is someone who is yielded habitually to the Holy Spirit and living in close fellowship, close communion with the Lord. God desires, and get this, God desires that we enjoy that confidence in him. Not to the point of arrogance, but that we enjoy assurance through Christ, that we enjoy our relationship with him through his son. If we live in doubt of our salvation, we in essence live in defeat. A defeated Christian will not be diligent in their work. They'll not be diligent uh, in their confidence. It'll be impossible to live in the liberty that we have in Christ if there's doubt. But it is possible to rise above that and enjoy your relationship with your Savior. Look at verse 22. There's an appeal here for us. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. That word ask means whatever you keep asking for. Speaking of the repeated, continuous praying day after day, the prerequisites for answered prayer are this uncondemning heart and the habitual keeping of God's commandments and, and the habitual doing of things that please God. John reveals this really great confidence believers have when, when, when making these prayers and supplications and requests to, 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 to the Lord. He, he, he doesn't imply that we can ask for anything at all and expect God to grant it, okay? But we can come with complete assurance that he will hear and he will answer prayers that are prayed in accordance with his will. These prayers will be received by God because they are prayed from hearts that desire him. They'll be answered because they are prayed from hearts that, that desire to keep his commandments, from hearts that, that desire to live in a way that pleases God. So how do you get your prayers answered? Number one, you keep God's commandments. Number two, you, you do things that please God. And those who commit things that are displeasing to God should not expect that God should incline his ear to answer their prayers. If you are not keeping God's commandments, if you're not living in a way that pleases him, you forfeit having God answer your prayer. But if you keep his commandments and you do things that are pleasing to him, He will bend his ear to you. Your father will hear. And he will answer. And we've got obeying and doing here. And both of these are in the continual tense here. Prayer, uh, power in prayer doesn't come from just occasional bursts of obedience. But lives lived in habitual obedience 
It's not enough to keep the letter of the law. That's not pleasing to God. You keep the spirit of the law. You habitually keep God's commandments. You habitually do the things that are pleasing to him. John isn't encouraging, though, this health and wealth or name it and claim it, prosperity, gospel, heresy, garbage that is going around today but simply that we can rely on the Father to meet our needs and honor our petitions. In Luke 11, verses 9 and 10, it says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Uh, Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. God wants to answer your prayers, but he will wait until you keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Look at our allegiance in verse 22. We, we, we can't miss this, this truth here. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things which are pleasing in his sight. We, we, many, many prayers go unanswered because they are offered from a heart that is polluted by sin. And we can't expect to live as we please, totally ignoring the will of God for our lives and then expect him to answer our prayers. A believer's relationship uh, to the brethren, to other believers, cannot be divorced from his prayer life. 1 Peter 3.7 says that, that if husbands aren't obeying the word of God, then, then, then you know, God's going to hinder their prayers. He's not going to answer them. Our relationship with other believers affects uh, the way our prayers get heard and then the way those prayers get answered. If we desire to receive the Lord's blessings, then we have to humble ourselves before him and walk according to the ways, his ways found in scripture. Now eternal security is wonderful to know that when you put your head down on your pillow at night, that if God should take your life, that you'll be in his presence. That is wonderful. Not to be afraid to cross the street because you're afraid to die. Not to be afraid to go out in the boat or up in an airplane. Uh, not, just just not, not fearing whether your next breath is going to come or not is a wonderful thing. But it is no license to sin. If we expect to be victorious in this life, if we expect to be bold in our prayer, then we must keep our lives pure before the Lord. If we have that hope in us, we will be working to purify ourselves. Number three, we see in verse 23 and 24, it's it's the commandment that's required. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. See, John closes this thought with with a commandment, with with a charge to keep the commandments. If we expect to possess Christ-like love, if we expect to enjoy power in prayer, then these characteristics must be present in our life. They must be. We're commanded in the first part of verse 23 to respond in faith. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the foundational element in the Christian life. So you can't be a Christian if you've not trusted Jesus to save you. 
It's the cornerstone for everything that follows. Faith in Christ is the beginning. It says, should believe. That means that the whole, whole tenor of a Christian's life should be Christ-word. And when it talks about the name, that's a, like a compressed creed there. Uh, that name stands for everything that the Son of God is. I mean, everything he has been, is now, will be forever. All that is in the doctrine of Christ is contained in that name. And we cannot expect to enjoy any of the benefits of God apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many today wonder why God seems to be so distant and why their lives seem to be such a mess. It's because many of them likely do not enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not saved. They've never met the way, the truth, and the life. The need for faith doesn't, though, end at salvation. As we continue to grow and mature in the Lord, faith must remain and it must grow in us. We cannot expect to receive the Lord's blessings if we doubt his ability, if we doubt his willingness, and we must offer our prayers in faith. The second part of verse 23 We have to respond in faith. We have to react in love. And love one another as he gave us commandment. This is his commandment. Now when it says this is his commandment, I've I've separated them here in in the sermon, but um, it's it's singular. The commandment is is singular, um, which means that uh, this is really one, one command, to believe and to love is one thing. We cannot truly love one another without faith in Christ. And we cannot truly believe in Christ without love. The tense of believe, though, points to a decisive act of faith, a point fixed in time, while love is in the present tense. It signifies a continuing action, a continuing attitude from that point forward. Now, it is possible, of course, to keep God's commandments, but not do it out of love, but do it out of fear or servitude or obligation rather than a spirit of love. But like we talked about in the Sunday school the last several weeks, that obeying not motivated by love is not really obedience it's not really love for that matter either and again we're reminded and admonished and challenged and commanded as believers to love one another we never outgrow the need to love each other we never reach the point spiritually where love is non-essential In fact, as we mature in the Lord, our love for him and our love for others should grow and become more and more evident. Regardless of the situation, we're expected to react in love as Christ loves. Now verse 24 tells us that we are to remain in obedience. It says, he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. This is where we get that abide again. That's what that word dwelleth means. Just as our faith and love must endure, so must our obedience to the commands of God endure. We are saved by grace and we have escaped the condemnation of the law, but we are still expected to live in accordance with what the Word of God says. 
If we're to enjoy fellowship with Christ, if we're to enjoy the abundant life that he promises us, then we must be submissive to his will for our lives, and we must, we must submit to his authority. One old commentator says this. He says, therefore, let God be at home in thee, and be thou home of God. Abide in God. And let God abide in thee. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, for the saints that we might be strengthened with might through uh, his spirit in the inner man in order that Christ might finally, right, finally settle down and feel completely at home. That's kind of Carter paraphrased edition there, okay? But that's what it means to abide. That we are completely at home in Christ. And Christ is completely at home in us. And then the end of verse 24, we are to rest in grace. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Now fear and doubt are not of God. Fear and doubt are of the flesh. Fear and doubt are of the devil. God doesn't desire believers to live their lives wondering about their salvation. He wants us to enjoy complete victory and liberty in Christ. He wants the Christian life to be enjoyable, to be joy-filled, something that you look forward to doing. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and we can have absolute confidence in our salvation and in our eternal destiny. If you are saved, stop worrying and start resting in his abundant grace. If you are not saved, get saved and stop worrying. Amen? Amen. Thank you. All right, let's wrap this up. I'm running a little late. This hasn't been a complicated message, but it reveals some profound truths for us. Now, I'm certain that all of us could love others more than we do. I'm sure we could possess more concern for the condition of lost souls than we do. No doubt we all fail and come short at times, showing that we need to grow in Christ more, that we need to abide in Christ more. There are likely some who will continue to struggle with assurance of their salvation. And if they're genuinely saved, that is not what the Lord wants. It is possible to get that settled, to enjoy victory. And that is what God desires. He doesn't want you guessing. He doesn't want you wondering if you know him or not. He desires for you to to, to, to live your Christian life with confidence and joy. So either you are saved or you are not. If you are saved, then live like it. Love like it. If you are not, then come to Jesus for salvation having your sins forgiven, then you can live like it and you can love like it and you can have the confidence and joy that he wants you to have. Maybe, maybe you know 
that there has never been a moment when you have trusted Christ as salvation. Uh, you talk to other believers and you say, well, I, I'm just not sure if I'm saved. But really what you're saying is, I know that I'm not saved. I just don't want to admit it to anyone. Maybe the Spirit has dealt with you and you know that you need to respond to Christ by faith. If that be true, then Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus wants to save you. He wants you to receive him as God's gracious gift of salvation. And he stands ready to meet whatever need you may have. You must come to Christ in faith. So the question remains, do you know Christ? If you do not, you need to know Christ. If you do know Christ, are you at home in him? Is he comfortable in you? Are you obeying his commands? Are you doing the things that are pleasing to him? That's where he wants you to be. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Before Keith comes to lead us in our closing hymn, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning thankful for your desire to have a relationship with us. And we thank you, Father, that, that those of us who know Jesus as Savior, we have been adopted into your family. We are yours. And you desire, Lord, to bless us. You desire a joyful relationship. You want us to be joyful in our relationship with you. So, Father, if we are not keeping your commandments, if we are not doing the things that are pleasing in your sight, please convict us of those sins, that we may confess them and repent of them, turn our back on them and turn back to you. But, Lord, for anyone this morning that does not know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin. That, Lord, you would convict them of their need to repent, to turn from their sin and turn to Christ in faith. So they can stand before you uncondemned. So they can stand before you in Christ. So they can have their eternal destiny changed from the lake of fire to your presence in glory. Father, we pray that you accomplish your purposes in the lives of your people this morning. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Keith, would you come?